welcome back to the Hamptons to Hollywood podcast hosted by me, Kyle Langan. Um, today's episode, I wanted to do something a little bit different. So if you are a newer subscriber or are just getting to know me, I am, in addition to having Hamptons to Hollywood, the website, the lifestyle brand that I've had for 12 years, I also am an author and I've been writing forever since I was a kid, really. My parents used to buy me like, remember those like black and white like composition books? And my parents would buy them for me and I would fill them up and like just like write in them and write like novels, quote unquote, that I would just tell stories. Like I've always been a storyteller my whole life. So I would fill up these composition books and have my parents read them. And, and I've always just been like a storyteller at heart. And that's one of the reasons why I, on Hamptons to Hollywood, I do a lot of interviews with people. I really like telling other people's stories. And it's definitely just part of, you know, the overall Hamptons to Hollywood brand, but also my own personal brand. And the last book I wrote, I've written three books. Um, Uncharted Waters was the first one. Uncharted Horizons was the second one. Um, and then the last book I wrote is called Confessions of a Callboy, and it came out in June of 2022, so a little over a year ago. And if you're watching on YouTube, this is the cover. And it's it was it did really well. It was the it was the highest performing book in terms of sales of my three. Um, and Confessions of a Call Callboy is actually a spinoff of my first two books. So there's the same characters. It's in the same world. Um, so it's really a personal, it's very personal to me, obviously, I love it, and I'm really happy that it did so well, and it's a bit of a departure thematically from the first two. The, this book is about, it's a gay erotic thriller, and it, you know, outwardly, that's what it is. But on the inside, um, kind of like you know, kind of like the deeper, there's a few deeper meanings to it. And one of them, I really wanted to write a story about moving to Los Angeles, which I've talked a lot about on Hamptons to Hollywood and, and on this podcast, um, because I love, you know, kind of like fish out of water scenarios. That's very much how my first two books were. Um, and, and that's definitely what Confessions of a Callboy about is about it's about this rich kid whose parents lose all their money and he has to move to Los Angeles to kind of get away from the embarrassment of the New York society that he has been brought up in and he has no money and um, and realizes because he's attractive that he can use his his looks as currency and to make money by by getting propositioned this this hollywood screenwriter propositions him and he gets kind of pulled in for sex and they hook up spoiler alert and it kind of opens the door for him into this world of sex work and sex work is something that i really was fascinated by because for a few reasons it's I really, I think I'm gravitated toward things that are alternative or stigmatized or um, 
you know, not talked about or not, or there's not like a, a light shown on them enough. And, and that's sex work, you know, but I, I think we're at a really interesting intersection in time where sex work is like with the advent of OnlyFans, it's really become something that those stigmas are being broken down a lot by, by OnlyFans creators. And I wanted to talk about it and explore it and dive deep and, and break down, you know, and explore it and just explore that stigma and why people are so um, threatened by it. And, you know, what does it say about, um, you know, American society in general that we're so, you know, repressed and don't like to talk about sex and, um, and I just think it, it's just fascinating. It's the oldest um, it's the oldest profession known to mankind, you know, like prostitution. Um, it's, and you know, it's still illegal in some places. And, uh, and I just thought it was such a fascinating time to talk about sex work and modern day sex work and what it means and kind of the psychological effects that it may have um, I interviewed a lot of sex workers for this book to kind of glean an understanding, you know, about it. And I, yeah, have just been, it was, it was a, fa it's a fascinating topic to me. And, and I feel like as I wrote it, I was kind of, I wouldn't say obsessed with it, but I was very taken with it, with the topic. And I think it was interesting because writing this book really allowed me to um, exercise out and like work through that in, that curiosity and that interest and and getting it down on the page really helped me. Um, it was kind of therapeutic in a way. It was it was a, an ex, an, an expression of my curiosity. The other thing about this, you know, the the about the book is that the character kind of through the sex work that he you know. Um, embarks upon this career that he embarks upon, he discovers his sexuality, that he's gay in the midst of it. So he kind of starts off by saying like, you know, I'm going to do this as for work, it's a job, having sex with men for, you know, for my profession. But the more, you know, the more he does it, I think he realizes he's he's been repressing something for, you know, a long time. And the act, the sex acts that he's putting himself, that he's putting himself into, no pun intended, uh, really unlock something for him. And he decides, and he, and he discovers himself through this, discovers his sexuality through the sex work. And, you know, again, if you know me, you'll, you're probably noticing certain parallels here because I moved to Los Angeles, like not knowing anyone, really kind of on, not a, kind of, yeah, on, it was on a whim for sure, um, and discovered my sexuality through it. So I kind of wanted to tell a story like that, like, you know, what is the, the having the freedom to move to a new city and, and come out, you know, that's really, that was really interesting to me because I think that I, I wonder if that was really subconsciously the reason why I moved to Hollywood, you know, was to become the most integrated version of myself and figure out my sexuality. Uh, so 
with my 12 year anniversary in LA fast approaching, um, I wanted to read the first chapter and the prologue. We'll do two freebies of Confessions of a Callboy um, as today's episode because Uncharted Waters and Uncharted Horizons, my first two books, are very beat. They're summer beach reads. They're really fun to just like, you know, pull out of your beach bag while you're on the beach, getting some sun. If you're at the pool, they're very like saucy and sexy and hot and murder and twists and turns. And Confessions of a Callboy is much more of a fall autumnal read. Uh, but it is because like it takes place in the fall and um, and that time of the year when things are like changing and, and there's a big transition from from warm to cold and um, and like I talked about in last week's episode the nostalgia of just like back to school season it brings up a lot of stuff um, so I'm gonna do a, a, a podcast episode about moving to LA and, and you know, kind of like the 12 things I've learned in 12 years um, soon. But today I really just wanted to read, um, again, the prologue and first chapter of Confessions of a Callboy because it really is, I'm really proud of this book. I'm really proud of how, of the conversations it sparked. You know, at the book signing I had in Hollywood um, over a year ago, people came up to me that I didn't know and were really like talking to me about they started just like divulging information about their own experiences with sex work whether it was hiring you know a call boy or you know a sex worker for a night whether it was them engaging in sex work themselves I think but they felt so much shame in it that it was something that they suppressed and hid and this book they told me, allowed them to kind of um, release a little bit of that shame. And that is like the best feedback you can hear as a writer is that, you're, that your work is resonating with people, um, especially when it's about such a taboo topic. So I really, and even now, like I got a DM from someone from like a, an acquaintance of mine that said, I just bought your book. I know it's been like a year since it came out, but I just bought your book and um, it's really, and he really was telling me how much he enjoyed it and, and how fascinated the topic was. And I think it's a, you know, sex work is, is a part of the gay community that people, that is more prevalent than people talk about. Um, it affects, there's a lot of drug, you know, use involved in sex work. Um, a lot of underage people from my research are, are involved in sex work because um, it's an, it's a relatively easy way to make money, but it is, there are side effects and other implications, like, like what are the psychological effects that this is having on, on, you know, especially underage people who aren't fully developed. There's a lot that goes into it that is, that I discuss in the book. So, um, so I just wanted to read some passages and... Again, this is very much all the books that I've written are either take place in the Hamptons or Hollywood. So it's all part of the same. It's all just coming back together. It's all under the same umbrella, the same brand. So um, maybe I'll even read the back cover to uh, set the stage, if you will. Um, 
so the description is this, Rick Noble never wanted to be gay, and he never thought he was, but there is a mysterious recurring dream that continues to haunt him. After fleeing to Los Angeles once his family goes broke, a desperate Rick is lured in by a Hollywood writer to perform favors for money. Before he knows it, he becomes entrenched in the seedy world of male escorting. Through his career as a gay callboy, Rick embarks on a journey of self-discovery to grapple with his own sexual identity and let go of the person he once thought he was. But when his escorting leads him to commit a heinous crime, there is another secret Rick must keep, in addition to his homosexuality. But to what lengths will he go to keep his secrets buried? Dun, dun, dun. Okay, so I'm gonna jump in. These chapters are, I per do you hear that background noise? That's so annoying. I, I purposely like to read books with short chapters because I think the pacing of it just keeps you really invested. Um, I'm gonna move into a different room. No, I, the noise stopped. Why is this happening to me? Of course there's a noise. I feel like you can, ki I feel like you can kind of still hear the noise, but not as bad. Okay, so I'm gonna go. Please forgive any background noise that you may be hearing. All right, so, prologue. October, 2022. I feel like, I have this like jaw problem where like my jaw constantly pops out of my, the socket. TMJ, I think, but I had to, I had to adjust my jaw. Okay. <clears throat> prologue. October, 2022. As soon as the red light switched on, I knew there was no going back. I mean, I guess technically I could have stopped the video and abandoned the whole idea, but something inside me was telling me to go through with it. And honestly, after the fucking epiphany I had just had, I simply had to get everything off my chest, even if no one ended up watching, because I didn't have anyone else to tell. This was it. This was my moment. I was finally going to come clean and set the whole story straight. Straight. What an ironic word. Particularly because there was not one part of myself that felt straight now. And yet, when my story started, I didn't feel anything but. But maybe I'm getting ahead of myself. I cleared my throat and started speaking to the camera in front of me, into the ether. Who knows? Maybe someone will find this video and it'll be able to help them someday. Hey everyone, if for some reason you don't know me, I'm Rick Noble, and yes, that is my real name. And I'm, I knew I was gonna have trouble saying this next part, mostly because I felt only shame and embarrassment from my first professional venture. A callboy, or you could say an escort or male prostitute. I took a deep breath and adjusted myself on the edge of the bed, forcing thoughts of calm into my head. If you're watching this and know me at all, you know I've always been really transparent with everybody about everything in my life. So I'm gonna tell you once and for all, my true story, everything that happened from the beginning. It's important to know that some of the names have been changed to protect the not-so-innocent, including maybe me. 
Okay, so if I'm starting from the beginning, I guess that puts us in Monte Carlo. That was the place that helped me see I wasn't the person I thought I was. Chapter 1, September 2021. At first, it was just skin. Though it was pressed against his, accidental as it may have been, it felt just like his own, soft, warm, taut. But as he writhed in the sheets, struggling to become comfortable, he could feel the hair on his leg intertwine with a man's leg hair who laid next to him. The skin pressed against him seemed to call to him, like it was yearning to be touched. He reached over and grabbed the body that shared his bed, pulling it toward him as closely as he could, tighter and tighter, wanting desperately to absorb him into his own form. He felt his heartbeat quicken. He could feel the steady droplets of sweat flow from his back the harder he wrestled the man closer to him. His breath was hot and labored and grew louder as the seconds passed, eventually transforming into a savage snarl. He was naked underneath the sheets and could feel himself hardening with each movement. He was pressed up against the lower back of the person he was holding. The heat that radiated in the small crevices between their interlocking limbs was like a furnace, growing stronger and stronger, a shared flame that they both stoked with their fervent grinding. His teeth gnashed together, carnal in his thrusting, and it wasn't long before the explosion took over. Chapter 2, September 2021. Rick pushed open the door from the tiny airplane bathroom, wearing nothing underneath his gray sweatpants. He had just woken up from a cold sweat, ran to the bathroom, and stuffed his underwear as far into the garbage as he could. I cannot fucking believe I just nutted in my pants like a horny fucking 13-year-old. The dream he woke up from was bizarre, but apparently quite indelible. He was very horny. It was on that flight home from Monte Carlo when he first had the feeling that nothing was ever going to be the same again. He didn't know how. He was the last person to believe in fate or intuition or any of the new age bullshit that anyone who lived in Laurel Canyon took for scripture. But for some reason, looking back, he knew something was about to change. As he returned to his seat, his third glass of Moet was waiting for him. Skylar Washington, his best friend since childhood, was slumped over in the adjacent first class seat, utterly unconscious. It had been an amazing trip and was full of so many firsts. It was so amazing, in fact. They were still reeling from the previous night's bender and had barely made their flight home. The party the evening before was one of the wildest they had ever experienced, which was saying a lot. Growing up as wealthy teenagers in Manhattan gave the pair of them a veritable key to the city, with access to every club and party that every bridge and tunnel person could only ever dream about. Rick was quoted as saying once, but Monaco was on a whole other level. The coke, the dancers, the champagne, it had reached Gatsby-esque proportions. Afterward, they stumbled through the windy Monegasque streets, laughing to one another, uttering nonsense until they finally reached their hotel. Once they got inside the suite, they both collapsed onto the bed with their clothes on, letting their inebriation carry them to a deep, deep sleep. Rick woke up two and a half hours before their flight, tucked into bed, naked somehow, before screaming at Skylar to pack. It had been a frantic morning. Which was why Skylar had fallen asleep before the jet even took off. By all accounts, he was still drunk. But party aside, as Rick sipped on his champagne, he couldn't shake the peculiar tone in his mother's voice when she had called him the day before. 
When are you coming home? She had asked with more abandon than her usual ambient-induced cadence suggested. The day after tomorrow, I think. The time change always confuses me. She let out a deep sigh. When you get back, we have to go over a few things before you go back to school. Like what? He couldn't have been more uninterested in whatever back-to-school shopping trip he was sure she had planned. Another lame excuse for a forced interaction between two people who really did not want to spend more time together than they had to. Just a few things. Oh, Rick, your father's home. I'll see you when you're back. And then she hung up. His interactions with his mother were at best transactional. He often thought about Skylar's relationship with his mother, or even the one Kingston Lang had with his, and always envied them. Mrs. Washington was always cooking something so comforting, and Francesca Lang was always bringing Kingston with her to some exotic, artsy location for work. And his mother, Diana Noble, was a pill-popping, chardonnay-swinging, Upper East Side zombie whose entire existence seemed like it was plucked out of a restoration hardware catalog, with none of the cozy charm. The limousine ride from JFK to Rick's apartment at 131 East 66th Street was ridden in silence. A reticence hung heavy in the air, a tension that became more palpable with each passing city block. Rick assumed Skylar was tired and didn't feel much like talking, but just like with his mother, he noticed a bizarre tone shift. It was like all the air had been sucked out of the car, leaving no oxygen left for them to converse. Skylar was very much awake and was staring out the window at the streets of Manhattan, empty and lonely despite their bustling franticness. The limousine screeched to a halt on the sidewalk in front of Rick's building. You want to come up for a drink? He asked. Skylar shook his head and remained uncharacteristically silent. I'm wiped, just gonna head home. Before Rick shot back the typical retort he normally would have, something probably akin to calling Skylar a pussy, he refrained, rolled his eyes, and stepped out of the car. As the driver unloaded his duffel from the trunk, Rick took a deep breath. The last thing he wanted to do was see his parents. As the elevator opened into the foyer of the noble's apartment, the sweet smell of roses and clean linens attacked Rick's senses like an overbearing sentry standing guard at the threshold of a kingdom. The scent reminded him of how fraudulent his entire home life was, a saccharine-coated lie that hid layers of rotten unhappiness underneath. He quickly strode down the hall toward his bedroom, but before he reached the door, he heard his father bellow his name from the living room. He cringed and gritted his teeth in anger. When Rick appeared in the parlor, he dropped his leather duffel onto the floor in a heap. Miss me? he asked, sarcastically. His gaze quickly shifted to notice more luggage, which he recognized to be his parents. There were dozens of bags piled on top of one another in the corner of the ornately decorated living room. What's with all the bags? Are you guys retiring to Palm Beach or something? Sit down, his father told him. Rick glanced over at him skeptically. Robert Noble wasn't a traditionally attractive man, which is to say that he was not attractive at all, not even in the slightest, most innocuous way. The older Rick grew, the more apparent this fact became to him, and the more he counted his blessings that he had inherited his mother's undeniable beauty. Robert's rotund shape was the result of years of rich cuisine, heavy cigar smoking, and his daily overindulgence in fine spirits, which was usually a Johnny Walker on the rocks. His face was perpetually flushed, his beard had turned completely alabaster, and his gait had transformed into a mere waddle instead of the long, powerful strides Rick remembered his father taking in his childhood. He looked like an entitled version of Jabba the Hutt wearing a Gucci suit. Rick did as instructed and took a seat on the chase lounge next to his mother, Diana, who was 
quite routinely, holding a freshly refilled Waterford wine glass that encased a sickly, buttery Chardonnay nearly filled to the brim. Somehow her face looked more sunken in than before Rick had left for Monaco. She looked tired and worn, yet tanned and soft, like the vintage Celine bag she brought with her everywhere she went. We have some news, Diana announced with trepidation rising in her tone. But before she could declare what the news was, she took a hearty sip of her wine and nodded for her husband to take over. Robert cleared his throat. I'm going to be straight with you, son, he said. We're experiencing a bit of a reversal of fortune, you see. What do you mean? Rick asked. He didn't actually need a second explanation. Somehow, he knew exactly what was happening. It was what all wealthy children feared as they became more aware of what money was and how quickly it could vanish under the guard of irresponsible parents. Rick watched as his father's mouth moved, but instead all he heard was a piercing silence. Or was it a deep, shrill ringing in his ears? He couldn't be sure. On the chase next to him, his mother started to cry, as if she realized in that moment that their circumstances were real. As if all the packing she had done up until that point had simply been a rote chore instead of a life-changing undertaking. The nobles were broke. Images of champagne, yachts, private jets, and lobster salad flashed in Rick's mind before they were all sucked into a large, black, menacing chasm that swallowed them whole. Rick, his father's voice broke him out of his daydream. Are you okay? Rick swallowed the lump in his throat. What happens now? There are people coming to see the apartment tomorrow. We're going to stay with Aunt Marissa while we figure out the next move. In New Jersey, Rick asked, aghast. His mother sobbed harder. We need to discuss school. What's there to say? I'm headed there in a few days. That's fine, but Rick, we can't pay for your next semester right now, Robert told him slowly. I can put you in touch with the best lenders, but you'll need to take out a loan if you insist on going. Rick's eyes went wide. Alone? We put your name on your last two years of tuition loans as a co-signer, so it would build your credit, but since our funds are most nearly depleted, there's still an outstanding balance that has to be paid, in addition to your next semester. Wait, 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 Rick said, standing. I have to pay back my tuition? Why didn't you put it all, why didn't you pay it all up front? How long have these money problems been going on? Diana began chucking her wine. Robert rolled his eyes and sighed. Fuck you, Dad, this is insane. You screwed us. What did you do? Robert's spending habits had always been liberal. Rick and his mother benefited from them, of course, but memories of each vacation to the Maldives and each bottle of champagne seemed so painful now. Rick knew Robert had blown the money. It didn't even matter to him how. He just felt so betrayed that it was gone and that everything had been a lie. Robert stood too, his face growing redder with anger. How dare you speak to me that way? How dare me? How dare you? I thought you were smarter than this, but I guess it turns out you're just another greedy Upper East Side chump who is too stupid and irresponsible to provide for his family. Robert snapped. He placed his ruddy hands upon Rick's chest and pushed. He pushed him so hard, Rick toppled backward and lost his balance, falling to the floor in a heap. Robert! Rick scrambled to his feet as his mother screamed, but his father was quicker than he anticipated. The second push sent him flying backward yet again, slamming him into the nearest wall hard enough to make his bones rattle. For a second, he thought that the wind had been knocked out of him. In a flash, Robert was there again, gripping the collar of Rick's shirt with his fists, their faces only inches from each other. 
Rick could feel his hot, heavy, sour breath hit him in the face, the pungent aroma of scotch and despair. He had never seen his father so angry before. His face was so red, it looked like his entire head might pop off his neck completely, the way a champagne cork does after the bottle is shaken. You will never disrespect me again, Robert said between labored breaths. Robert, let him go. Diana hadn't even bothered to stand, which only made Rick angrier. Whether she didn't care about his well-being or was too afraid to stand up to her husband, it was in that moment, after years of ambivalence to his existence, that she finally abandoned her son. But Rick wasn't afraid. He swore he would never be like his mother. He would never be cowardly enough not to stand up for himself. In your dreams, asshole, Rick said between gritted teeth. Instantly, his father's hands moved from the collar of his shirt to his neck. Robert's fat hands squeezed tighter and tighter. For a moment, Rick thought his father might actually kill him. That's when he panicked. He flailed his arms wildly, trying to pry apart the vice-like grip on his throat. But when he couldn't, he used his legs. One swift, hard kick to the groin was all it took to weaken Robert's hold. He stumbled backward and doubled over in pain, wheezing in agony. Fuck both of you, Rick screamed between coughs as he fought for his voice back, fighting the tears that were welling up behind his eyes. I hate you. You're pathetic losers. I never want to see either of you ever again. Get the fuck out of this house, Robert shot back. Rick looked toward his mother, but she only hung her head in resolve. He picked up the bag he had dropped in the room when he entered and grabbed his keys from the entry table. Good riddance. And with that, he spun around and turned his back on his parents forever. So that was actually the first two chapters because the second chapter or the first chapter is very short. But that is how Confessions of a Callboy starts. Um, and if you want to see what happens next, the book is available on Amazon and on Barnes and Noble. So just type in the title and it'll come up. And it's a really fun, fast read. Um, it's only a little more than 200 pages. So it's, uh, it's a fun book to just read for the fall. And I'm really proud of it. Um, it's funny just reading it now. There's, as, as any writer or as any person who gets older and gets better at something you like read something that you that you wrote before and you're like oh god I wish I would have changed that or just reading that now I think about all the things that I would change but but this is kind of like a time capsule you know it's a moment in time that I wrote this book when um, I was fascinated by this topic and um, I am I'm proud of it and I hope you guys like it I hope you liked the passage I hope you consider um, getting the full book it's available in paperback and as an ebook and i it will be available as an audiobook too so if you enjoyed this um you can download the audiobook too which will be available on audible um so yeah if you if you have any questions um about the book about my writing um about anything i learned about in the sex working world while researching and writing this book um, please send me a message on Instagram at Kyle J. Langan, and I can answer some questions in the next episode if that's something that you guys want to, um, want to do. 
happy to answer questions. So yeah, thanks for tuning in and stay tuned for our next episode. Um, I know these last two episodes have been more solo episodes, so I'm going to be um, in the process of lining up my guests for this new season. And um, it's all going to be related to Hamptons to Hollywood um, and some things about me and all the things that Hamptons to Hollywood represents are our Fs, fashion, food, fitness, festivities, and fun. So, yeah. Thanks for tuning in, and I'll see you guys soon.